Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you. It's a beautiful day. It's cold. Uh, my name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. That means it's time for 10 with Tim. Uh, we take about 10 minutes, give or take a minute each day, Monday through Friday, and we go verse by verse through the Word of God. We've been doing this a while. We're going to keep doing this until we get all the way through the Word of God. And right now we're in the book of Hosea, Old Testament prophet Hosea. We're in chapter 7 today. I think chapter 7 is hard. Uh, I'm not the only one. Honestly, scholars don't know exactly what to do with chapter 7. Um as I've said from the beginning, Hosea is very poetic and he loves these images. And we got this long image of a hot oven in chapter seven, but honestly, it's really kind of hard to know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, but let's jump into it. There's still good stuff here. Uh, chapter seven, verse one, verse one threw me for a loop. New Living Translation, I don't know. It's, it's just a hard verse to translate, uh, but l- l- let's get to it. New Living Translation says something like, I want to heal Israel, but its sins are too great. All right, I don't like that. I don't like the way that sounds, you know, uh, because that translation, that way of saying it makes it sound like God said, I was going to forgive them, but, you know, then I realized how much sin they had, and, you know, that's kind of a lot. I mean, it, it, you could read that, and it sounds like God's saying, I'm not able to forgive all that. You know, that's too much even for me. And that's not what that's not what this text is saying. There's no sin too great. That's not what the scripture's saying. There's no way you can out-sin God's ability to forgive you. You know, not even the nation of Israel back in the day, and they're wicked, you know, and uh, got a spirit of harlotry, Hosea would say, but that does not mean they can't be forgiven. That's not what this text is saying. That's not what this verse is saying. Not saying, well, that's so much sin. God just said, whoo, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about how much sin they had, but once I started to forgive them, whoa, you know, sins were crawling out and I, you know, I gave up. No, no, no. The failure is not on God's ability or willingness to forgive. The failure is on the people's part in that they will not stop trying to hide their sin or, you know, for that matter, they don't think they sin. They, they, they deny their sin. Forgiveness just doesn't work for people who don't think they sin, you know, and, and this is the problem. Throughout chapter 7, the problem is the people's shocking, stunning, and tragic lack of self-awareness. They can't see themselves. They can't see themselves the way they are. They can't see themselves the way God sees them, and so this is what it means. The Hebrew there says, when I when I moved to heal them, their sins were revealed, um, and the people don't realize that I'm watching them. That's verse 2. Uh, it, the Hebrew there is kind of cool. It's uh, the people don't realize I'm watching them. The Hebrew there is, um, they don't remember that I remember. <laughs> they don't remember that I remember their sins. It's, it, it's that kind of idea. They don't remember I remember. You know, and, and again, we we do. We have this ability, ability, an amazing ability, really, to you know, to ignore our own sin, to forgive our own sin sometimes, or just forget it. But we don't remember that God remembers it. You know, He is not willing to deny it or hide it because He knows that our sin will destroy us. You know, it's, it's like allowing your child to drink poison. You, you know, He's not going to leave us in the vicinity of our sin, but we forget. Uh, the danger of our own sin, and we forget that God remembers, you know. And so this is a point. Their sinful deeds are all around them. They are surrounded by evil deeds there, is what the Hebrew says, and I see them all. 
Whew, okay, so right there, we start with this superior vantage of God. He is able to see, he is able to know, and, um, and we are not able to remember what he sees and knows. Um, verses 3 to 7 uh, follow there uh, with a, sort of a long uh, excursion on, uh, I, I guess, politics, uh, political intrigue. Uh, and, uh, and the problem with the kings and the princes and, and, and all of that. Again, the, the driving metaphor here is just this picture of a, of a hot oven. The people entertain the king with their wickedness. The princes laugh at their lies. They're all adulterers. They're all aflame with lust. They're like an oven that is kept hot while the baker is kneading the dough. Honestly, we don't know what any of that means. Uh, we, we just don't. Uh, but I, th- I think we know enough of what it means. Um, the idea of, of the hot oven of, of politics, the, the hot oven of the kings and the rulers, uh, again, it's, it's politics here. We're, we're talking about the, the intrigue of, of the, uh, the royal dynasties that rise and fall. Uh, we've read Second Kings together, right? Uh, and you remember that section where there's just this long string of, of, of assassinations? Uh, Jeroboam II, uh, and that whole dynasty of Jehu was destroyed. I think there were like three deaths in there. Uh, was, uh, Zacharias, wasn't he assassinated by Shalom and then Shalom by Menachem, you know? And then uh, 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 Pe- Pekahiah and then Pekah. All in Second Kings, we read it together. Um, all of this happens during Hosea's ministry. And so this, you know, this sort of collapse of three different dynasties and this assassination and intrigue, uh, these coup, uh, coup d'etats, I would just say, um, all of these, you know, uh, kings that just, you know, rise and fall, rise and fall. And Hosea's calling attention to that. And he says the whole thing's like a, like a hot oven. Um, I think the idea there is that, um, in politics, man, those crooked politicians are always cooking something up. You know what I mean? Always cooking something up. The hot oven isn't really, I mean, I guess I want it to be a picture of like judgment and destruction, but we're not destroying anything in this hot oven. We're just cooking stuff up, you know? And so it's that idea that in politics, there's always the heat of political intrigue and strategizing and um, misinformation, you know, and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, all of that kind of garbage coming out of our politics. Um, and here Hosea is, is speaking against all of that, burning like an oven. They consume their leaders. They kill their kings one after another. Remember what I'm saying? In that second kings, when it's just, you know, boom, 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 just one after another, they all, that's all contemporary to Hosea's preaching. Uh, they kill their kings one after another, and nobody cries to me for help. So these kings rise, they get into trouble, they fall, and not one of them turns to God. Not one of them, you know, recognizes their need for God. Um, well, you know, I know that you're watching me and not, you know, your news channel at the moment, but I just told you what they're saying on the news right there. I mean, Jose said the same thing, man. It's they're always cooking something up and leaders rise and leaders fall and presidents come and presidents go, but, but none of them turn to God for help. You know, and then the next one, verse eight, people of Israel mingle with godless foreigners. <clears throat> Remember that in the covenant, God's people were to be separate. You know, they were to come out from among the world. 
uh, for the sake of holiness, you know, to be sanctified, you know, which means to be set apart. Um, that's the whole point of the covenant, that God's people are going to live in the presence of this holy God, and therefore they can't live like other nations. They have to be separate. But here, the idea that they're, that they're all just mixed in, they're just mixed in now, and that means they're no longer set apart for holiness to God, and now they're just going to become like the rest of the world, like the rest of the nations. Worshiping foreign gods to sap their strength, but they don't know it. Again, we're coming back to the people's incredible lack of spiritual self-awareness. They don't see themselves. They, they, they don't know how desperate their situation is. Their hair is gray, but they don't realize they're old and weak. You know, it's like one of those old you know, like Hollywood, you know, actresses like from back in the 80s in my day that used to be so pretty. Well, like Melanie Griffith, you know, wasn't she, didn't she used to be pretty? And then you see her, you know, like now <laughs> on TV and it's like, what happened to your face? You know, her lips look like, like, like in overinflated hot dogs, you know, and those are supposed to be her lips. You know, it's, it's insane. And, you know, cheekbones, you know, I mean, her face looks like a sack of squirrels, you know, and then you think she did that to herself to be beautiful. And it's like, are there no mirrors at her plastic surgeon's office? Are there no mirrors in her house? Like, I'm not dogging on Melanie Griffith in particular, but y'all know what I'm saying, right? You just, you see these people who are old trying so hard not to be old and it's like don't you know you're old you know and don't you know your plastic surgeon's blind I mean uh and this is the whole thing man their hair is gray but they don't even seem to realize they're old and weak they're still trotting around at you know Dolly Parton at the halftime show in a cheerleader's outfit my goodness y'all that's like seeing your grandma out there you know it's just like stop you know look at yourself have a little bit of self-awareness and and Jose is saying this from a spiritual perspective you know, you are weak and you've been made weak by your chasing after, you're lusting after other gods, you know, and, and you go to these other gods thinking they're going to give you something to make your life better, give you something God can't give you, and it's sapping your strength, you know, you're old, you're weak, and you cannot even see yourself for what you become. People of Israel become like silly, witless doves. Apparently in the ancient world, doves were considered particularly kind of dopey, you know. I think part of it is their big dumb eyes, you know. Uh, but then also apparently doves will become single-minded on, on feeding. So it was very easy to trap doves. They were an endless food supply for the people because, man, all I could do is, you know, pitch some cornflakes out, out on the dirt. And the doves are just, I mean, they're just going to come down. You throw a net over them and that's your supper, you know. And that's the point, man. You know, God's people have become like sitting ducks. You know, they're, they're just sitting there for the enemy. Uh, because they have become so single-mindedly carried away by their spirit of harlotry. Uh, a couple of things, and, and I'll come back to these things anyway. Uh, verse 12, I will punish them for all the evil they do. The, I think that Hebrew word there is yashar. It's, it means to teach, to discipline, and it becomes one of Jose's favorite words. He's going to come back to that word several times. It's the way a parent would would instruct, you know, discipline a child so that I will punish them for all the evil they do. That that's that's less of a vengeful, you know, dropping down like a hammer, but more the parent, the the, the good parent who comes along the wayward child 
uh, the child, you know, wandering out into the road and brings him back into safety and in the security of the father's house. And then verse 13, this woe, what sorrow awaits those who have deserted me. Woe to those who have deserted me. It's the first of a couple of woes here in the book of Hosea. And we'll come back to, uh, to, to them as well. Last verse, then the people of Egypt will laugh at them. You know, again, you know your Old Testament history. Egypt is the, the enemy. Egypt is the place where God's people begin in slavery. And God himself, you know, with his mighty hand and with the display of his power, he brings them out of slavery for the Egyptians. And the fact that now, man, the Egyptians are laughing at you now. You know, it's the ultimate in shame. It's the ultimate reversal of God's uh, good plan. And it is uh, ultimate humiliation for God's people uh, who uh, left the uh, hum, humiliating slavery under the Egyptians only to humiliate themselves now in the eyes of the Egyptians by turning after other gods. Uh, so that's chapter 7. We'll pick up here tomorrow. We'll just do chapter 8 tomorrow. I know it's going to take us some time, but we'll wrap up Hosea probably about a week from today. How's that? Uh, love you guys so much. Have a beautiful Tuesday. I will see you tomorrow, Lord willing, 10 o'clock. Did I say I love you, man? I love you guys so much. I really, really do. I don't just say it. I mean, I mean it. I love you all, and I'll see you in the morning uh, in chapter 8 of Hosea. Have a great day.